Today on Happy Sad Confused, an Avengers Endgame spoiler special with directors Anthony and Joe Russo. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to a very special edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Look, unless you've been living in a cave, and who knows, it might even be playing in a cave near you, Avengers Endgame is the one and only movie that literally everybody is aware of. You've probably seen once, maybe twice by now, like me. Uh, It has dominated the pop culture landscape the last few weeks, and it's time to have one of those conversations that uh, can only come with a little distance, it's time for a spoiler chat. We did this last year after Infinity War came out. Uh, I had Joe and Anthony Russo, the directors of Infinity War, come on, and they spilled all the beans. They answered all my questions. There was nothing off limits. And uh, they did it again. These guys are great. I mean, they're, they're just so easy to talk to. I've spent a lot of time with them, especially in the last couple of years, and even the last few weeks. This is my third conversation with them in a matter of weeks. But the first time at least this year, where I could dive into all the spoilers. So the usual preamble for something like this that goes without saying, but I will say it nonetheless, only listen to this conversation if you've seen Avengers Endgame. I don't know why you would listen otherwise, (laughs) unless you're just, you consume media in a different way than I do. But uh, if you have seen Avengers Endgame and you want to really dive deep and answer some burning questions and hear from the great minds that directed this kind of unprecedented event, this is the spoiler podcast for you. Um, Joe and Anthony Russo, uh, you know, along with Kevin Feige, of course, and Marcus and McFeely, the two screenwriters, have really crafted something that is uh, that is unique. I, I mean, like, look, say what you will. If you have quibbles, and I, yeah, sure, I have quibbles with both Infinity War and Endgame, but on the whole, I have such admiration for what they were able to do. They're such impressive feats of, of storytelling, and they in some ways have redefined how, I mean, this sounds kind of grandiose, but how movies are made in terms of what, what the structure of a movie can even look like. No one has juggled this kind of complex storytelling in this way, wrapping up 22 films in, um, into kind of interlocking films like this with this many characters. And man, they really did it. They really did. I've seen, I've seen Endgame twice. I'll see it at least a couple more times, probably in a theater before the end of its run. Um, it's such a satisfying film experience emotionally. Um, I think it's, it's very moving given what we've been through with these characters. Um, for my money. And I say this to the guys, like I, I was, I, I was so impressed with so many of the actors in this film. Uh, Downey, who, I've always loved. Um, I think it gives maybe his best performance as Tony Stark since the original Iron Man. He just, I'm so glad he was able to cap off this run with this juicy uh, a character arc in his final film in the MCU. Evans is great. I mean, everyone down the line, I was saying to somebody and uh, and to these guys, like the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch is on the screen for as little as he is and yet registers so well, it just speaks volumes of how impressively Feige and company have cast these films. Um, and, you know, something like, like Endgame, it begs a lot of questions. Not all of them can be answered, of course, in, in, in a podcast, but, but this one gets at a lot. I found out a lot of really interesting stuff in this conversation, um, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, yeah, so anyway, this, this, I'm, I'm so thrilled that they, they you know, honored the request. They've been really busy. They, these guys have earned a vacation, but um, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Endgame um, throughout the year and maybe even into award season. I would be totally down with that. 
Anyway, that's enough preamble. Uh, on to the main event. This is why you came here today for all the spoiler talk. So here it is. An Avengers Endgame spoiler conversation with directors Joe and Anthony Russo. Please remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy Say I Confused. Spread the good word. That's how people can discover conversations like this. Don't be greedy. Don't hog it all for yourself. Enjoy my chat with the Russo brothers right now. Mr. Joe and Anthony Russo, you know what we're doing here. Yeah, this is an annual tradition, although I don't know how we're going to live up to this next year. <laughs> That's uh, right. Spoiler zone. You've seen the movie, like me, probably at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're talking Avengers Endgame. Guys, congratulations. This is thank you. a hell of an achievement. Thank you so much, and we're really thrilled to be talking to you again, so thank you. Um, I imagine back when you're doing, uh, when you're getting 20% on Rotten Tomatoes for you, me, and Dupree, you're like, in about 12 or 13 years, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going oh, yeah. to get what I deserve. You guys are going <laughs> to ruin hey, the day. You, you learn from your failures more than you do from your successes. <laughs> there you go. All right, so let's talk on, on a macro level, first of all, like a theme for this film because when I'm watching it it's striking me I'm thinking family I'm thinking mm-hmm. parents and children I'm thinking you know Thor and his mom Tony and his kid Tony and his dad is that something that's like on the whiteboard family is that one of kind of the resonant themes for these two films I think so I mean certain certainly the Avengers have a strong theme of family uh, surrounding them from, from, from their, from their first sort of connection with one another. But I think also, you know, something that we discovered back on winter soldier, when we were first uh, working with the MCU, um, was this, I like the relationship between Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes was so intimate and so complicated. And I remember as we were sort of circling that movie and, and, and wrapping our heads around it creatively, we ran right at that relationship because it's like all, you know, it just layers things so much and it sort of creates, creates such an intimacy between those two characters, especially when they're in an adversarial sort of position to one another through that film. So I think we, we always run at these really intimate relationships in these movies. Cause again, you're dealing with these big ensembles where there's lots of story. It's very complicated. It's like, how do you get to a very uh, uh, rich, essential, complicated relationship quickly? Right. And certainly, family relationships. Yeah, family is a great that. source of drama. Yeah. The I remember talking to you about Infinity War, and you've talked to others about this. That in, in a way, in some ways, that was a more challenging film, and that you you began. Correct me if I'm wrong. With kind of the ending of these two films, you knew where you wanted to end up. Absolutely, you what, have to. What was I mean, so? What were the elements that were? the end of Endgame. What, where were you, what was your starting well, point? Uh, what were the ending points you knew you were heading towards? We knew, uh, we knew what we were going to do with Steve Rogers. I mean, that was probably the most um, important part of the, uh, of the process for us was understanding where he was going to go as a character. And we knew what was going to happen with, uh, with uh, Tony Stark yeah. uh, and that the uh, snap was going to be reversed, but at uh, the cost of his life. Uh, and once we understood those two key dramatic elements for our co-leads of the Marvel Universe, we could then go backwards through the story and right towards the the endings. And um, you know, certainly if you go look at you know the Tony in Endgame, he's reticent at the beginning. Uh, he has a child now, uh, and he is worried about jeopardizing the life of his child by messing around with stones right. and with time travel 
uh, and then ultimately he has to make a sacrifice to leave his wife and child in order to restore uh, um, the universe and, and bring back or, or protect, I should say, uh, uh, the lives of everyone who's come back. One of the uh, most pleasurable moments I've had in a movie theater in some time is, uh, is the, the moment when Cap gets the wheel to the hammer. Uh, it's it's yeah. It just brings an audience to nearly its feet, depending on where you are. Um, how far back does that idea go? I think it goes all the way back to Ultron. You know, it was something that was. Uh, uh, I, I think everyone, every everyone who's a Marvel fan, in that moment where Cap tested the hammer, uh, uh, um, felt deep down in their heart that he was worthy and that he could potentially lift that. And boy, wouldn't it be special one day if he did. And, you know, obviously, um, if you create drama around the circumstances of him uh, wielding the hammer uh, and then kicking Thanos' ass uh, uh, for 30 seconds after that, we, could, we, we felt like we could create a risable moment for the audience. And I have to confess, we have, we have snuck into uh, more than one theater over the past week <laughs> and have taken great... Uh, pleasure in in witnessing the audience reaction to that moment i'm sure you might as man you've earned it what why uh, so why in your heads was he not able to wield the hammer until this moment well in our heads he, he was able to wield it you know and he didn't know that until that moment in ultron when he when he tried to pick it up but cap's sense of character and his sort of humility and his you know sort of like out of deference to thor's ego you know cap in that moment realizing he can move the hammer decides not to got it and uh always it was the selfless one always yeah exactly exactly it's very <laughs> much thor says i knew it yeah. you know right um, which maybe you can't hear yet in movie theaters but it's, <laughs> trust at some point you can <laughs> <laughs> um on a more trivial note around cap um did Evans always appreciate the America's ass uh, uh, beat? The yeah, I think of that? it was a controversial <laughs> joke, frankly. Uh, but and Evans takes some convincing, or Evans no? was very was okay with it. I think I it took some convincing for everybody. Yeah. We're all every time we every time we did the joke on set, we'd all laugh, and then we go, "I don't know, are we really going to do this joke?" <laughs> uh, but you know, there's something self-referential about the ending. There's something where you know, there's a sense that the characters have grown and that they have. Uh, you know, a self-referential appreciation of who they are as characters. And it's fun to like, you know, see a wizened cap, look back on uh, this sort of, um, uh, you know, quasi stick well, in the mud. I also think it speaks to the fraternal nature of cap and Tony's relationship, you know, this sort of like sibling ribbing, you know, and that, that I, that, that cap just couldn't let that dig go. And we want to find a way to make fun of the the Avengers suit without really making fun of it. But uh, that was our subtle jab. It, yeah. well, you, you made me look like a genius when I quizzed you guys on body parts and I had Evan's uh, butt as the, That's as the right. capper in that. I was like, That's I'm right. on to something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to be in that writer's it was, room. Yeah. It was hard for us to keep quiet there. <laughs> um, so, okay, so time travel-wise, I'm not getting into the nitty-gritty particulars. I know you're talking a lot. You don't to want us to, to explain the uh, physics? Well, <laughs> it's enough for you to say, like... <laughs> Fuck Back to the Future, basically. Yeah. They got it wrong. I mean, here's the simple truth, and here's the here's the fascinating thing about time travel, right? It doesn't exist. <laughs> Spoiler: it, What? No, yes. it doesn't. It's complete fiction, and the movie's fiction. Stop it. So Stop this conversation right just now. Just enjoy the movie. I agree. Yeah. Somebody will figure it out someday. <laughs> 
you do uh, you send your heroes back to some precise moments in in MCU history. Um, were there other was Sokovia ever discussed? Was the beginnings of Iron Man in that cave ever discussed? What were there ever other places you seriously considered? There were other places. Oh my God, I don't know if I can remember any. Um, there, well, there were different versions, <clears throat> like more. We, we, we had got, look, we, you know, as is our process with Marcus and McFeely and uh, the writers and Kevin Feige, uh, we, we like to like chase down a lot of different scenarios. So we do generally play with a lot of ideas, especially sort of like for moments in the movie like this. There was a moment where Morag was a completely different set piece. Uh, that's true. It was a, that was a completely different set piece and different characters were involved in that set piece. Yeah. I do remember that. And I think there might have been other things that I think both, both of us are blanking on right now. <laughs> Can you elaborate on the Morag uh, set piece? Yeah, like, well, was it was just, yeah, it was, a, we had, we had one was... moment where the entire planet was underwater now, and that was the complication when they arrived at Morag. They had to actually get to the Temple of the Power Stone by, you know, going through this, like, the... They were know. going there earlier than Quill had gone. Got it. And there was yeah. a tide shift on the planet, and, you know, it was underwater, and now they had to figure out... Uh, and it was a set piece, I think, that involved it involved uh, Widow, Hawkeye, uh, Nebula, and Rhodey. All four of them were involved. Oh, wow. in and there might have been a giant sea eel. Sounding like Phantom Menace. The yeah. under the uh, so the like, like, <laughs> so, and then all, see and why then, we moved. This is a very early idea. Then one day we're all sitting there, and everyone went, "What the hell are we doing? This is hard enough. Why we are we putting this giant underwater seal? <laughs> so much emotional." <laughs> Capital with Quill. Just have Quill show up and they punch him in the face, and uh, and they and they uh, take the stone. What about the pairings in terms of like who you're sending back and in what pairings? Was there was there one that you like were strongly at one point into that didn't in the end pan out? A different kind of uh, grouping? No, I think we. I think where we ended up was exactly where you know I don't was exactly it felt right to us. You and know, it was a clear clear sense of uh, who has who had a history with each other that felt like it would be. Rich for exploiting in um, in in these uh, set pieces. You know, for, forcing Cap and Tony together. You know, sort of. Uh, you know, Widow and Hawkeye. Widow and Hawkeye. It's you know, these are all sort of really. Nebula and Rhodey is interesting. It is an on, interesting one. Yeah. yeah. Then the, on the level that, you know, they're they're both um, reconstructed. Right. You know, uh, and um, I think uh, Karen did an, uh, an incredible job in this movie. They just did a bit oh, of an. Yeah unsung hero in this film. I mean, she, the, the character is, um, there's so much pathos around yeah. that character. Did uh, Okoye or Marvel ever go back in any other uh, iteration? There was a version, I no. think, no, there again, was a on, version, on a story I think, level, where Marvel we, had gone back. Again, again, like, we, these are all sort of grounded in story choices. For instance, like, we, we thought, like, Okoye, and her history as a character has been so sort of, like, uh, Wakanda first. Right. And that was really the challenge of her arc. Right. Was, like, moving beyond that and supporting T'Challa and the movement beyond that. So we thought in the wake of such a tra traumatic event like the snap and losing, losing T'Challa and half, half of all people. Someone had to run Wakanda. That she would right. revert to that, that sort of, like, Protect homeland. Of, exactly. Yeah. So we, we, we committed that idea for her because it felt truthful to her as a character. Um, and then well, we you said Marvel. You didn't. We consider? had involved Marvel at some point. We considered Marvel at some point. Uh, yeah, there was a whole collector set piece and everything. You remember that? <laughs> they were playing around with uh, the. Um, we developed but, this movie for a very long time. So. <laughs> but you know, there was it. One, once you start developing it, you can see how crowded it gets, right? Two, 
Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that we had real, we had real story space to create conflict between the characters that were going back. And the original Avengers were the focus of the movie. And we felt like at a certain point, you know, Lang has to go because of uh, uh, the quantum realm uh, and Pym Particles, and he's, he has so much to do with the MacGuffin of the movie. Right. We really wanted to focus as essentially as we could on um, the original six Avengers, and the Guardians had to go because they had essential information that the Avengers did not. Right. So that was how simple we could make it and, and still keep it centered around the original Avengers. You have some fun stuff where obviously Cap facing off of Cap uh, with Cap, um, Nebula even facing off with Nebula. Was there ever, ever any other kind of matchups like that? Like you could have had, you know, Lebowski Thor versus Buff Thor, presumably. <laughs> we did have that. We, we, we did actually. There was there was a sequence where they did couldn't finally confront one another in Asgard, and I can't remember exactly why we moved off of that. I mean, uh, I think maybe maybe it was that we I were think it just got overly complicated, and then we liked the cap versus cap better, and then there was and a I, bit. And we also a gag, and, remember where, yeah. but also I think there we also deferred to you know the the the, the storyline between Thor and his mother was so resonant yeah. that we really wanted to run. That was really more a part of Thor's journey and repair than confronting his former self. Right. So that's really w w what happened there. Why we flowed with that. Um. Some some uh, rumors, obviously, throughout the film that did or didn't uh, pan out. Catherine Langford, what's the the bottom? What happened there? Was she ever? Was she going to be Cassie at some point? Was that no? She wasn't going to be. Uh, well, um, what was that? Uh, there, there was a there was, was an the idea that we had. Yeah. Um, that um, that Tony, that Tony was going to yep. go into the metaphysical way station that Thanos goes. Remember into. where Thanos saw. His daughter. Uh, yes. When he snapped his fingers, and that there was going to be a future version of his daughter oh. uh, in that way station. And it got. So that's Morgan grown up a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We showed it to a test audience, and it was really confusing. What we them. realized about it was we didn't have, we didn't feel an emotional association with his adult, the adult version of his daughter. Right. So we just, it, it wasn't ringing to us and it resonating with us on an emotional level, which yep. is why we moved away from it. So you shot it, just did it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the intention yeah. was that his future daughter, because these are the stones we're dealing with, so it was magic. His future daughter um, uh, forgave him uh, and, um, and sort of gave him peace to go. And the idea felt resonant. But it's just, um, it's just too many ideas in, right. in an overly complicated movie. Speaking of, of too many things, you can't bring back every kind of bit player. There are, there are obviously a bunch of surprises, uh, some, some that were rumored or some that people were wondering about making appearances. Uh, Quicksilver, Justin Hammer, were, any, were either of those ever in the mix? No. No. Just didn't work in, in no. the story you were concerned And it was also just, you know, our struggle on this movie was just to deal with there was so much on the table, you know, and yeah. it was just like we, we were always petrified of not doing service to like the stuff that was more central to, to the to the yeah. to the narrative, you know. So we that was really, really what we had to focus on at, at the end of the day. Do we have a name for the final battle? What are we what are, what are generations to come going to call that final battle? This is a good question. I don't think we ever had an internal name for it. The, the Battle of Avengers Compound. <laughs> Upstate New York battle. That's right. <laughs> the, final, the final battle. Final, okay. Fair enough. I'm just trying to get it for the history books. Get it right. Yeah. The throwdown on the Hudson, maybe. <laughs> okay, fair enough. The battle, um, for, battle for the gauntlet. Um, 
uh, Marcus and McFeely have said that there was more to that battle, that there was some some more beats to it. Is there any 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 stuff that you missed about cutting from that final? There's always more beats to the battle. Battles traditionally at this scale tend to be bloated, and then we try to pull them down to their essential elements. Sometimes when you get in the edit room and start playing around with it, the structure doesn't sustain, or you find a better structure and a better path through it. And some beats you think are going to work don't work quite as well as others, and then there's, um, there's sort of battle fatigue. So right. We had a lot of people on that battlefield. Yeah. Yeah, so there. there were other... Including Howard the Duck, apparently. There were other beats. I think there was like a, a Rocket and Groot reunion moment. There might have been a... Um, uh, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp reunion moment, but it just started to feel like an endless series of reunions yeah. where, you know, there are future movies coming and those moments can be had it also speaks at to a like different time. The level of the quality of your actors where like so many of them can do so much in like such brief moments. Like I, I would submit that right. Benedict Cumberbatch does more in like his three minutes in mm -hmm. this film than yeah. most actors are capable of uh, in 120 Absolutely. Minutes. It, it's a great observation. I mean, he is amazing. I mean, he, like, he holds the screen. Like he, he knows what his intention is. He, like, yeah. get, he brings a spirituality <laughs> to that, to that fight and yeah. uh, predestiny to it. Just, yeah. just in his, uh, the, the performance uh, well it's also great i mean I, I you know the fact that he is when he does show up he has a central relationship to the to the to the end point of the movie and tony knows it right you know and i think the audience knows it and it's it's, it's so i think that also gives him a little power there you know sure. as, as well yeah well what what um is there a scene that you can pinpoint that changed the most throughout Scripting through shootings, a scene that you shot a couple times that you just wasn't, you had to tweak. Or I think it would be the. I mean, it would be the final battle. I think you know in terms of there might be something. In terms of what? Yeah, but just it was so complex. There were so many characters yeah. there. We really, you know, to what we were just speaking about. You know, we had to just experiment with so many different ideas about what was going to happen on that battlefield, and we did try a few of them, and it just it took us a long time. That was and Vormir. I mean, there was. Oh, yeah, there was a, another well, yeah. version of Vormir that involved, um, you know, Thanos' troops showing up and then Black Widow having to, you know, run the gauntlet and getting shot as she runs the gauntlet to leap off the cliff. And it, it again, it just felt like it was distracting from the, what was most powerful about the scene, which is two friends. Yeah. One uh, of them having to die. One of them having to die and then, and then literally fighting each other to be the one who, who dies. And um, that just seemed like a more uh, um, emotional and on, on story uh, execution of it, and we ended up scrapping the more complicated version of Warmer. So much like conjecture over the last few years about like if and when Chris hands over the shield, Cap hands over the shield, Steve hands over the shield, uh, who goes to? Um, were there debates internally about, was it a no-brainer that just thematically it made sense that it had to be? It made sense Sam. that it was Sam. I don't think that there were significant debates at all. I mean, Bucky, we did, we Bucky as portrayed in the film, as in the films, is very damaged, you know? Yeah. And uh, not necessarily the guy that you would want to trust with another weapon, because he can always be um, corrupted. Right. Uh, and, you know, Sam... If, if anyone matches Cap's integrity uh, over the course of the last uh, few films at Sam, uh, from the time that they met on the mall in D.C. Uh, through the end of this film, and it, he just seemed like the logical choice in, in the 
uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. We don't have all the context that the comics have. Right. Right. We can only tell the stories that that, that the or bring completion to the stories that we've been telling. And uh, and it, that seemed to make the most sense. As guys that obviously are most closely closely associated with that grouping, with those characters, you must be just curious now sort of where that heads as you kind of hand the baton, particularly for those characters, to see what the series for Disney Plus is going to be. Like, are you involved at all in terms of what they are doing? No, we were so focused yeah. on finishing this, and they've been working on those while we've been working on this movie. And, also, and this is yeah. Herculean. You have to understand, too, like, it was, a, it was an enormous creative upside for Joe and I for the first time since we've joined the MCU to not be thinking about the future. Right. You know? Just to be thinking about this movie as a completion, as an ending, and with no thought whatsoever to where you go from here. Um, that was amazing, you know, because it was very hard to, to, bring, to bring this narrative to a conclusion. So, you know, our focus was simply backwards. The yeah. journey that everybody's been on up to this moment in time and how do we, how do we provide the most exciting, satisfying conclusion to that. Um, and Kevin was really awesome. Kevin Feige, oh, so many things I love and respect about Kevin, but you know, the fact that he, he gave us that freedom to not think about looking forward was, it was an amazing thing. And I think the movie is better for it. I'm curious though, to also like in practice, how that works, because you're at, everything you said is absolutely true, but at the same time, what you've done clearly affects like a lot of all these franchises going forward. Guardians 3 is going to be a lot different because of the events that have happened well, that's here. That's the fun of handing off the baton, right? And I guess what I'm curious though, it's like, so is this gun way in on what you're doing? No, not at all. Because here's why, and again, this is something we learned that from the moment we joined the MCU, and, I th and it's one of the main reasons why we've stayed so long, is Kevin has this amazing process of, and this attitude of one movie at a time. Yeah. And it is the it is the key one of the one of the cornerstones of his success with that series is that he will not, he he wants every single movie to become whatever it wants to become and to have the freedom to become whatever it wants to become without being saddled with having to hit a mark for this or that or the other because that's the way you crush crush a narrative you're like well, the second you start looking at one movie and going oh this movie has to do this because right. Two, two moves down the chessboard, we're going to do that. Like, that's where you, you totally that's tear a story That's where the movie out. falls apart. Well, even yeah. if it narratively puts somebody in a corner, luckily you've got someone like James Gunn who's pretty yeah. good at getting out of that corner. Exactly. <laughs> and and, and then, by the way, yeah. we're, we all appreciate, to, to an extent, being handed complicated scenarios right. because it, it, it provides for uh, more interesting stories. Have you read his script for Volume 3? Oh, we have not. No. no. Again, like, was the nice thing was we just focused on this movie. Yeah. Because remember, for six years prior, seven, yeah, we were finishing one film while breaking the next film, right? Going on a press tour, releasing the movie, getting right back in yeah. the writers' room, and going right into prep, and then shooting, and then posting, and while we were posting, breaking the next film, and you know, so it was nice. And this movie was so hard at the end that it was so nice to not have to be working on two things at the same time. Uh, some people have detected what seemed to be potentially some references to other characters. Is, is there a Namor reference in there when Okoye is talking about what's going on? Maybe. <laughs> some people may interpret it that way. For the record, could Joe just, smiled as he said maybe. Could just be an earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about uh, Captain Brit Britain? Uh, potentially Peggy talking about a character in Braddock. Uh, yeah, I think we, uh, <laughs> maybe, or maybe it's just a guy named Braddock. 
That doesn't seem as interesting, though. I mean, again, you guys <laughs> no, are the pros. <laughs> yeah. You were obviously very reluctant when we talked in the past about what the major film influences templates were. I mean, in a way, there's no templates. What you've done here yeah. is kind of redefine what a movie can be in some ways, which is quite a feat 100 years into filmmaking. But that being said, Back to the Future has to be somewhat on your mind in some moments. Uh, are, there, are there other references, reference points at all that came to mind? I mean, the odd thing about this movie is we were really, because it was the, the job for this movie, the goal for this movie was to bring the entire MCU to a, a moment of conclusion. All we looked at was the previous 21 movies, believe it or not. And that, that was it. We were, we were completely fed by and focused on those films. Yeah. And that was really, we didn't have another reference outside of that. I mean, certainly Back to the Future came into the equation simply on a time travel question because it looms so large in the collective consciousness uh, for, for what time travel is and, and what our experience of it is. Right. So we had to address that film, but that was more on a sort of intellectual level than on a sort of stylistic level. But what about even like when I saw, one of, arguably my favorite scene in the film is uh, Tony and Howard Stark. Mm-hmm. It's just like... Again, I want to start the Downey Jr. Oscar campaign right now. Hundred percent, as do so good. As do we sign us up? You no, should. truly. And, um, he reminds you not that we needed reminding, like what an actor he is. Um, but that had shades of of Back to the Future a little bit. No, that's just something that's a coincidental. Yeah, that just... I think. Uh, well, without question, I mean, anytime you're uh, you're in the past and you run into uh, uh, either yourself or family. Um, you're uh, you're gonna get some references to Back to the Future, but it's I think I think the movie is, uh, frankly, when we look back at all of our work, it's probably most <laughs> representative uh, in one film of of all of the different sandboxes we've played in over the last twenty five years, um, from comedy to drama and uh, you know intimate um, character story to big spectacle. It sort of combines all of it, and I think yeah. that that was really our focus. I think so. And, and you're, you're right. There certainly is a connection there, but it wasn't explicit on our part. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, in our remaining few uh, minutes, let's do some uh, as rapid fire-ish as you can do. Yeah. Cool. Um, second choice for the name besides Endgame? There must have been. A, a uh, well, it was Gauntlet, Infinity Gauntlet for a long time. Uh, when we, when we sh- sorry, this is not too rapid fire, That's but okay. when we went to Korea to promote this movie, uh, the representatives from Disney there came up to us and said, um, there's something we need to tell you in in, um, in the translation of Infinity War here in Korea, when Doctor Strange says to Tony, uh, we're in the endgame now, the, the way we translated that here was no hope. So we're like, oh, so I guess, so in Korea, is, our, is this movie called Avengers No Hope? Because oh <laughs> it's uh, well, depressing, jeez. It's not gonna do well. <laughs> but uh, Infinity Gauntlet was the title for quite a long time, okay. actually. Um, ever any conversation about splitting this film into two? We used to joke about it all the time uh, because Alan Horn at Disney had had done the um, Lord of the Rings, overseen Lord of the Rings, and he used to joke about it all the time with us. We'd be like... Three-hour movie, just cut it now. You guys have enough here <laughs> for two joking? I bet he wouldn't have been too disappointed if you're like, "Hey, we figured it out." I think <laughs> I don't know that it would have achieved this kind of success yeah. that we split it up. But uh, you know Evans as, as well as anybody. You think he's ever playing this character again? Uh, no, I think you know Chris. Chris is a very emotional person. I think that that's not. It's not. Maybe it's evident if you follow him on um, Twitter because he does put his heart into uh, what he says. 
but I feel like he, you know, he has to close the door on things and be and emotionally move on to the next thing. And I think for now he's there are no he's, plans. He's emotionally moved on. Yes, you've created a fascinating five-year gap in MCU history that I'm sure some people will explore in some ways. Mm -hmm. What's the story that you just now as fans want to see? Do you want to see what? Hulk was up to Ronan. Do you want to know about Joe's love life the last five years? What's been going on? I think it's. Uh, I think. I think what's going to be really compelling, and what's really brave about this, and and, and you know, and Kevin was really encouraging. Is there's no reset, right? So think about this. People have moved on. People have had kids. People have married other people. You know, it complicates the entire universe. And uh, that makes for really rich storytelling because you're in a you're in a place you could never possibly imagine, and a place that I, I can't think of any other you know movie starting from. So he's, he's speaking about the fact of like you know what happens when these people who have been missing for yeah. five years re show up, and their loved ones have moved on. So there may be a, a Marvel movie called Give Me Back My House <laughs> coming. No, but like, again, like even going back to each of these franchises, like Coogler can't ignore these events. Like that's no, massive. It's gonna, I mean, but I think it, I, look, if it, if it were us on the other end of it, You'd we'd be that. really excited because yeah. yeah. it, it puts you in a really it's unique a weird place. idea. You know, like and weird ideas are good. You've got a, a nice little teaser for the potential uh, of a female MCU, hundred percent. Yeah, you think that's inevitable that we're going to see something like that? I, I would, I would hope so. I think that one of the things we're most proud of about Marvel moving forward is is how diverse it's becoming. Yeah, is there any? A lot of people have been talking about sort of fan service in this film, and I'm sure that's something you mm -hmm. were kind of like conscious of. It's like when when's what's the line between fan service and destruction? I don't know that we ever try to. I mean, look, we're just looking for great storytelling moments and. You know, of course, it's called fan service because there's 21 movies behind it. And, you know, the only way to, you know, truly enjoy all of these films is to be a fan of them and uh, to follow all 21 of them into the 22nd movie. So there are payoff moments for sure. Uh, but I don't we don't ever intentionally say, oh, the fans are going to love this. Yeah. We're like, you're like, I'm going to love this. We're like, we're gonna, love exactly. This. <laughs> it's all it's always based on how we feel about it. Uh, and then finally, um, what kind of monster puts mayonnaise on there? <laughs> Who in your life does this? What kind of? I know. You know, I think it takes all types. It takes all types. It might, it might You're have not been naming a... names here, but someone in, in the Russo's family it does It might have been stuff. an ad lib on set. Mark, I was like, Marcus and McFeely yeah. did that. I did they? Was it an ad lib? I mean, it's the biggest fantasy in the MCU thus yeah. far is that yeah. someone does this. this now we have insane. to figure out who Mark, if it's Marcus or McFeely who puts mayonnaise. <laughs> on I'm, like, I'm really curious now to run this one down. We've got to yeah. figure that out. <laughs> okay, we'll get to the bottom of it. That'll be the next Fuller podcast. Just about that one question. Gentlemen, congratulations. Get some well-earned rest and um and thanks as always for for the conversation man thank, thank you. you thanks we, for sitting down with us so really enjoyed it. thank you we did it and so ends another edition of happy sad confused remember to review rate and subscribe to this show on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts i'm a big podcast person i'm daisy ridley and i definitely wasn't pressured to do this by josh <laughs>